This is uh, Dr. Pedro Ramirez, Editor-in-Chief of the International Journal of Gynecological Cancer. Uh, today, I have the great pleasure to have uh, invited uh, Dr. Alejandra Martinez, who is in Toulouse, France. And uh, as I mentioned to her before the podcast, I did not want to completely mispronounce the name of the institution or the university, so I will ask her uh, to do so. But uh, the reason for this podcast is that we're going to talk about the lead article. Uh, this is going to be the August uh, lead article, and I think it's a very important and uh, relevant point today for patients uh, with advanced ovarian cancer um, because it, it, it talks about the, 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 the points regarding the number of uh, cycles of chemotherapy, how can we assess uh, the, the impact of the um, um, responses to neoadjuvant chemotherapy. So the, the article is titled Survival Impact of Histological Response to Neoadjuvant uh, Chemotherapy According to the Number of Cycles in Patients with Advanced Ovarian Cancer. So Alejandra, welcome, and thank you so much for accepting our, our invitation to, uh, to speak about the article. Thank you so much, uh, Pedro. So I'm Alejandra Martinez, as Pedro said. I'm working in the university um, in the University Cancer Center of Toulouse, the Institut Clausrego, and I'm very happy of being here today. Thank you again for giving us the opportunity of discussing on on our work, on our study, and I'll be very pleased to answer your questions and uh, to discuss with you. Thank you so much, Alejandra. And as I said, I could not have pronounced that exactly as you did. I'm working a little bit on the French, but uh, definitely uh, wouldn't, wouldn't dare to attempt it. So thank you uh, again so much for accepting the invitation, as I mentioned. So I wanted to, to start by asking you if you can discuss as to why you and your team felt that this was an, an important topic with regards to, uh, to, to the number of cycles of chemotherapy um, that are given uh, as neoadjuvant therapy and how do we assess uh, the response? Yes. So I think that this is an important topic as the impact of the pathology response on survival, depending on the number of chemo cycles have, has never been assessed. We know that the pathologic response is correlated to survival, but we don't know the effect of the number of cycles on pathology response. So we could suppose that patients with poor or insufficient response at, after three cycles of chemotherapy, uh, we could consider these patients as non-respondents and uh, patients, and we would not expect to see uh, complete pathologic responses after six cycles. So we wanted to evaluate how this uh, additional three cycles of chemotherapy affected on pathologic response. And we had like two principal questions. The first one was to know um, uh, or to see, can we, can we obtain a larger proportion of patients with a good pathologic response, with complete response after six cycles? And then the main question of our study was to evaluate or, or to assess how uh, does the, um, the, the pathology response affect uh, the survival after complete surgery uh, performed at at three, but also at three after uh, three uh, and six cycles of uh, chemotherapy. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm really uh, glad that, uh, that uh, you know, certainly this work was presented uh, to, our, to our journal because I think it's obviously, as you mentioned, a really important and relevant question today as we often find ourselves now frequently arguing as to do you do three cycles, do you do four, do you go all the way up to six? And, and, and you know, generally, as you know, uh, gynecologic oncologists have really strong feelings about which way to go with regards to uh, the treatment. So the next question, um, Alejandra, is that uh, actually was from several of our fellows in the journal. Um, they mentioned that the primary objective of the study was to evaluate uh, survival outcomes based on this histopathologic response. And they were wondering if you can talk a little bit about, um, because I'm not, you know, there are a number of people who may not be as familiar with regards to the definition or the criteria for the response levels of one and two versus three. Can you explain a little bit about that? Yes, of course. So we used this score, the BUM score, which was uh, published uh, several years ago in the GCO. This score has been validated in several um, reports. And uh, it, it's also the score validated by, by the American College of Pathologists. And um, there is a recent study which included 900 patients from several countries, which showed that this score is very easy to calculate. And they demonstrated that there is a very good inter-observer concordance uh, between pathologists and uh, there's also an online training uh, tool for uh, pathologists. So uh, the score is uh, divided in three, in three groups. Uh, CRS uh, score three, which represents patients with complete or nearly complete pathologic response to chemotherapy. So patients who have less than two millimeter uh, tumor residue on, on uh, histopathologic analysis. And uh, CRS2 represents patients with partial response, so patients with mixed viable tumor and uh, also with um, fibro uh, inflammatory response. And then we have score, uh, CRS score one, uh, which is used for patients with uh, no, no response or uh, with minimal response to chemotherapy. And that's a CRS3, the one that has minimal response to chemotherapy? No, CRS3 is for patients with very good response to chemo. Perfect. Okay. Complete or nearly complete. Uh, so I some see. people okay. say we should divide CRS3 in really complete or, uh, or nearly complete uh, response. Perfect. Very well. Um, and if can you tell us a little bit about when you were putting this study together, as to your design and, and if you can talk a little bit about the, the surgical and the chemotherapy treatment regimens. Yes, so this is a retrospective multicentric study. There were four participating uh, institutions. Uh, we included consecutive patients with uh, advanced ovarian cancer with stage 3C4 ovarian cancer that were treated with new adjuvant chemotherapy and complete cytoreduction or a reduction to less than 2.55 millimeters. So um, neoadjuvant chemotherapy in, uh, in our study was uh, indicated in patients who had or poor medical condition or patients that were considered um, unresectable 
or uh, when surgery was considered too, uh, too morbid or at high risk of post-operative complications, for example, in patients who have uh, deep uh, uh, mesenteric infiltration on, or when uh, large bowel or, or um, gastric resections are, are required. So in these patients, uh, neoadjuvant chemotherapy was performed. Uh, chemotherapy consisted of uh, carboplatin and paclitaxel uh, once every three uh, weeks. And um, patients were evaluated after uh, prior to each cycle of chemotherapy with a CA25 dosage. Then at three cycles, uh, patients were evaluated considering clinical, biologic, and imaging uh, response to chemotherapy, uh, either by CT scan or by PET-CT. If the response to chemotherapy was considered uh, insufficient or stable, patients could uh, undergo a laparoscopic assessment. And if uh, chemotherapy response was uh, considered, uh, was not considered uh, sufficient for surgery, then patients continued chemotherapy up to uh, six cycles. Uh, so at the time of uh, cytoreduction, the extent of the disease, the tumor burden was calculated with the PCI score and the surgical uh, complexity with the LT score. Then um, for patients who received six cycles of chemotherapy, uh, two or three additional cycles of adjuvant chemotherapy were uh, given, especially in patients who had poor response or who had a CRS one or, or two. Uh, in this study, bevacizumab uh, was uh, used uh, in patients with, um, with stage four, in patients who had uh, residual disease, even if it was a millimetric after uh, surgery, uh, and in patients with a poor response after chemotherapy, so patients with CRS one or two. Uh, finally, in this study, we did not use PARP inhibitors. Yeah, and, and, and obviously that's a, that was one of the questions that had come up uh, as well. Um, and and um, Alejandra, just a, a, as an additional question from one of the, our fellows as it pertained to the criteria for response, uh, this was from Christina Ewing from the UK. Um, she was asking if it was a, a combined assessment in terms of defining um, the evaluation in terms of physician, uh, CA125, resist criteria. I see that you also incorporated laparoscopy to evaluate whether there was a response uh, or not. Well, relapse was defined with, with imaging, with CT scan or PET-CT, uh, or uh, and biologic uh, relapse uh, was defined according to, to standard definition, so by the rise of the 25 uh, twice mm -hmm. the upper limit. Uh, and resist criteria was not used because patients uh, for relapse, I'm talking, because patients uh, did not have any residual disease after treatment. Okay, excellent. So one of the questions that came up was uh, pertaining to the, the methodology. Um, you, you looked at completeness of cytoreduction score. And the, uh, the question was as to why patients with a completeness of cytoreduction score of two 
were excluded uh, from the analysis. Um, if you can just elaborate a little bit more about that. Um, and also uh, another question from one of our fellows is uh, why the authors chose the PCI cutoff of 10 in their analysis? Yes, okay. So the first one uh, is a very good question. So patients uh, who had a residual disease larger than 2.5 millimeters, so uh, with a CC2 uh, score were excluded because um, at the beginning, we wanted to really to evaluate the effect of pathologic resp response in patients with uh, complete surgery. Mm -hmm. And we, uh, we wanted to avoid the poor prognostic factor associated with large tumor residue yeah. after surgery. So we tried to be uh, like more pure for, uh, mm -hmm. uh, to, to, to evaluate more preci precisely the, the effect of the pathologic response uh, after uh, uh, complete or optimal uh, surgery. Of course, we can, we can imagine uh, that patients with uh, CC2 residual disease can be more frequent in the, in the delayed surgical group in patients who, who were operated after six cycles of, of chemotherapy, maybe. So this is, uh, well, this is a limitation of, of the study and maybe a selection uh, bias. And we probably selected like a good prognostic uh, population, especially for, the, for patients who had surgery after uh, six cycles of, of uh, chemotherapy. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, I think that, you know, you mentioned it as a potential limitation, but some would say that it's actually a strength of the study, because then you're actually just looking at that population yeah. that is of interest uh, in, in this particular setting. And then the second part of that question, the, the PCI of uh, um, cutoff of 10. Um, yes. Uh, well, there. I know that there is no PCI uh, standard uh, PCI cutoff, but there are several studies in literature that show uh, significant survival differences in patients who have PCI of more than ten or of uh, equal or uh, below ten. Um, we also showed in a recent in a recent publication by by our team that we performed with my colleague Martin Angeles one year ago that a PCI above ten was a poor prognostic factor a factor in particular in patients who had surgery after uh, six cycles of of chemotherapy and in uh, so in patients with high tumor burden in patients with PCA more more than ten in this study we showed that there was a um, significant uh, there were significant differences in overall survival favoring surgery at three compared uh, with surgery uh, performed at uh, six cycles of chemotherapy. Yeah, and, and probably most likely an indicator also, some component of, of the poor tumor biology of okay. those patients that, you know, you're getting to six, okay. you have a PCI greater than 10, you know, of course, there's, there's no chemosensitivity, yes. Exactly. So then now, <clears throat> what would you want to highlight as the main results of the study, the points that you really want our listeners to take away from this study? 
Um, so main result of our study is that pathology response measured by this score, that the CRS uh, is a pathologic score, is associated with disease-free and with overall survival, survival in patients with uh, stage 3C4 ovarian cancer treated with neoadjuvant chemotherapy, irrespective of the number of uh, chemotherapy cycles. So um, just to, to, to review some numbers, in our study, we found that 24% of patients had complete or nearly complete pathologic response, so CRS3, and 76% uh, CRS1 or 2. And disease-free survival was uh, of 28 months with patients with, uh, in patients with uh, CRS3 compared with uh, 16 months in patients who had a partial or poor response to chemotherapy with no differences between patients operated at three and at six mm. cycles. Uh, as well, the overall survival was uh, 105 months in patients with uh, CRS3 uh, compared to 45 in patients with CRS1 uh, or 2. Uh, as uh, we can expect, um, poor response to poor pathologic response to chemotherapy, so CRS1 or 2, was associated with higher tumor burden measured by the PCI, more extensive and more complex surgical procedures, residual disease after uh, surgery, as well as with early uh, relapse. Uh, so in uh, conclusion, or like a take a home message, CRS is a surrogate uh, marker of survival and it is an easy and reproductible uh, biomarker that can help to stratify patients uh, for uh, treatment. That's great. And, and I'm going to ask you towards the end, how do, how do we put all of this together? Uh, but I wanted to just uh, <clears throat> get to some additional questions with regards to um, some of the interpretation of the, of the results. Um, this question comes also from one of our fellows. And she asks, um, did you take into consideration comorbidities in terms of your analyses? Because obviously very different if a patient is younger, healthier versus this older patients with, uh, with lots of comorbidities. Yes, of course. Well, comorbidities well, were not collected. We only collected performance status, but while well, patients included in the study were all operated uh, and uh, they all had a good performance status as they all were classified as zero or one, we just had uh, like 5% of patients who had a performance status of two. But no, specificities on comorbidities were, were not collected and- uh, yeah work for the next study. <laughs> um, so this other question also uh, comes uh, from uh, our fellow um, in France, actually. Um, he asked that, and you alluded a little bit to this in the beginning, uh, with regards to patients receiving uh, bevacizumab preoperatively, um, and also was the chemotherapy regimens adapted uh, according to patients' comorbidities or tolerance? You may not have this type of level of granular detail for your study, but what, what, is, what, what are your thoughts on, on those? Well, 
we did not use preparative or neoadjuvant bevacizumab. No patient received neoadjuvant uh, bevacizumab. Uh, all patients were treated with carboplatin and paclitaxel, ex except for one patient who just had uh, carboplatin. But we did not, we do not have details on uh, regarding chemotherapy, dose reductions, or if weekly strategies were uh, were applied in some patients. Great. Um, this next question is, is not, uh, I think, an objective of your study, but I think that, you know, certainly <clears throat> we value having experts like you on, on the podcast. So we often go off a little bit of the topic of the ex uh, specific results of the study and just want to get your clinical um, input from this. And, and this question comes from Jessica Sun, one of the fellows. She's actually from uh, MD Anderson. Um, she says that a total of 72% uh, of patients received adjuvant chemotherapy. Some might say that's too many, and some might say, why not 100%? So the question is, after patients undergo six cycles of chemotherapy, um, should they continue getting additional chemotherapy? Particularly if you have a patient that had no macroscopic residual disease, is this a patient population that can just go straight to something like PARP inhibitors or maintenance bevacizumab? So I know mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a long question, but basically it goes down to, do we need to give more after six? Yes, yes. But, uh, well, it's a very good question. In this study, chemotherapy, adjuvant chemotherapy after six cycles uh, um, was uh, performed, was given, especially in patients who had residual disease uh, on pathology, uh, an exam. Uh, of course, there is no standard uh, recommendation for adjuvant strategy. Uh, strategy uh, when surgery is performed after six cycles of chemotherapy. Um, but uh, but I believe that patients who have complete histopathologic response to chemotherapy. Um, after six cycles should be very good uh, candidates to go uh, straight forward to PARP inhibitors without any uh, additional uh, chemotherapy. Yeah, I think you, you and I share the, the, the same opinion on, on that point as well. Um, another question from Jessica was um, data on genetic testing results in your responders, particularly also in the poor responders, do you have any information from this study? Mm. It's a very good and very interesting question, but unfortunately, we did not collect any genetic information. Uh, there is a review article uh, that was published two years ago, which included 900 patients. And they showed in this paper uh, that patients with CRS3, uh, so with very good uh, pathologic uh, complete or ne nearly complete pathologic response, uh, there were more uh, frequent BRCA mutations, which is- Yeah, it's probably as anticipated. Expected. Yeah, um, this next question is from Catherine hicks Curant. She's at the University of Pennsylvania. And she asks, based on your findings in interval debulking surgery, Mm -hmm. Is it a reasonable goal to have less than 2.5 millimeters residual rather than no gross residual disease? In other words, getting fairly close to no gross residual, but still leaving some element of uh, very small volume disease. 
well, I think that the main goal of, of cytoreductive surgery is to, to obtain complete cytoreduction with no, no macroscopic uh, residual disease at the end of the procedure. Uh, but if uh, complete surgery cannot be performed because there is some millimetric um, spread in the bowel, then we can consider to perform uh, debulking surgery, leaving this uh, millimetric residue. But it's not the, the main goal of, should not be the, the considered uh, as the standard of, or the main goal of surgery. And in our study, 98% of patients who had um, minimal residual disease, so less than 2.5 millimeters uh, after, uh, after surgery, uh, they had uh, poor responses to chemotherapy and were at higher risk of, uh, of uh, relapse compared to patients with complete cytoreduction. So, Main goal of main goal of surgery, I think, should should be to uh, remove uh, all the macroscopic, all the visible uh, disease. Great. Uh, <clears throat> what would you say are some of the limitations of the study for someone looking at this and and saying, well, um, as I take away this information, are there any limitations that I should remember in discussing with either with my colleagues or with patients? No, no. No, no limitations. For that. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, there are some, unfortunately, uh, this is a well. First of all, it's a re retrospective study, so um, we had missing information concerning, for example, the start of the chemotherapy, the delay between surgery and, and the start of adjuvant chemotherapy. We do not have details on on chemotherapy. Uh, uh, protocols. We don't know if patients had dose reduction, if there were uh, weekly uh, strategies uh, performed. Um, a second limitation is that there was no central pathology re uh, review of the samples. We just performed a um, retrospective review of the pathology reports. So we could have misclassified some cases. Um, as I said before, we do not, uh, genetics data were not uh, collected. Um, so probably the, the CRS3 group, so patients with a complete response uh, is, uh, is probably enriched with BRCA uh, um, mutated uh, with tumors with BRCA mutations and probably with other um, homologous recombination deficiency anomalies. And uh, finally, the, the CRS score has been validated for high-grade CRS. Mm. And in our study, we had like 24% of other uh, histologic types. Yeah, so actually, uh, I was going to ask you about, you know, your thoughts on using something like this for low grade or endometrial. I, I mean, I presume there's not enough data for that. That's it. No, that's it. Data <clears throat> is very, very limited. So, yeah, great. Um, so then now I have just a couple more questions, and and I know obviously I want to be respectful of your time. Um, for someone who's not used to working with chemotherapy response scores. You are familiar with this concept and, and obviously incorporating it into your practice. How should we do that? How does someone that doesn't, you know, that will say, oh, you know, this is interesting. I, I didn't really have this in part of my management of patients. How should I incorporate it into my daily management of patients? 
uh, well, first of all, I think that the score is easy. It's uh, reproducible for, for pathologists. And as I said, there's very small inter-observer uh, variation in scoring. So how could we incorporate it in our uh, clinical practice? <clears throat> well, we have discussed a little bit uh, before, but probably patients who have CRS score of uh, two, and especially patients who have CRS uh, score at one are at high risk of, of uh, relapse. And when possible, uh, we should propose a clinical, uh, to enroll patients in clinical trials uh, so that they can receive additional uh, treatment modalities. And uh, I think that CRS score could also be implemented in clinical trials using uh, neoadjuvant chemotherapy to uh, help to, to stratify, to stratify a patient's uh, treatment. Yeah, that, that's really, really great. Um, and I was thinking about you know, the, the second phase of the, the trial that we, you know, as you know, we have ongoing with regards to um, the LANS trial looking at open versus minimally invasive or interval debulking and how some something like this could be potentially uh, incorporated into that, that second phase of the study. Now, one last question um, I often ask about your own practice. Uh, when patients come to you asking regarding um, whether there is a difference between receiving three or four cycles of neoadjuvant chemotherapy versus six cycles of neoadjuvant chemotherapy. What, what do you say to those patients? I, and I think that I've had patients frequently that, particularly sometimes elderly patients who are doing really well, they're tolerating the chemotherapy well, they got into three to four, they have had wonderful response and they say, well, why do I need to go to surgery? Why don't we just keep going with chemotherapy? So what are, what are your thoughts and your response to, to, to those patients? Well, I think that the, I would say that surgery after three, four cycles is the standard of care. And when uh, possible, uh, surgery should be performed after, after three uh, or four cycles of chemotherapy. I know that in our study, we did not find survival differences between uh, both groups, between um, patients operated at three and at six cycles. But I, uh, as I said uh, before, um, patients who had uh, residual disease or patients who progressed between uh, the third and the sixth uh, chemotherapy cycle were excluded from, from the study. So we might have uh, selected uh, the, the best uh, prognostic group in the uh, delayed uh, surgical uh, group at, after six cycles. Um, and additionally, as I said before, we showed in a previous study that patients with high, high tumor uh, bulk with patients with a PCI higher than, than 10 uh, at the time of, of surgery, had a significantly higher risk of death when surgery was performed at uh, six uh, cycles. So I think that um, uh, that we uh, should uh, uh, consider surgery and we should recommend surgery after three or four cycles of chemotherapy. And to finish, in France, uh, we have the, a randomized uh, controlled trial, phase three trial, the Chronos, the Chronos mm -hmm. study. Uh, 
which is evaluating the optimal time for uh, for um, cytoreduction after new adjuvant chemotherapy. So patients are randomized after three uh, cycles of chemotherapy into surgery at the, after three or surgery after six cycles of chemotherapy. And hopefully uh, this study will, will answer the, the question. Yes, fantastic. And then actually we do have... Uh the uh, principal investigator from the chrono study uh, as, a, as a guest also in one of our upcoming podcasts. So um, Alejandra, thank you so much. This has been really, really very informative. Always a pleasure speaking with you. Um, and uh, thank you for accepting our invitation on such short notice. So mm -hmm. we really do look forward again to having this as the, the lead article and uh, look forward to speaking to you again. And thank you again also for all the contribution you've made to gynecologic oncology. It's really remarkable. And, uh, and, and, and lastly, thank you for what you do for our journal and uh, in participating in, in, in the success of this journal. So thank you. Thank you very much, Pedro, for the invitation and for also for all the work you do, which is amazing <laughs> for the journal in particular. Thank you and congratulations.